Hey, hey, how's it going, Chads? Good day, GM, GM. How are you? Australian Chad. Hi, Chad. I've just hacked his Twitter account. <laughs> is, that, is that how the Australian? No, that's, that's more British. <laughs> I think. Not that I'm an expert. Yeah, you're I think a Cockney I've accent. Probably insulted There's some British person in the audience who's now angry with me. I probably insulted them. <laughs> the Aussies are more like, "Good, I might." Very kind of more of a, of a hop to speech in a sense. <laughs> I don't know. It sounded a little it sounded like that to me the first time. <laughs> it sounded about well, the same. They are similar. I'll give you that. They are. They are. Any other uh, accents or impressions you oh, get? Oh gosh, this is gonna be embarrassing. Uh, <laughs> I think one of my favorite ones is the uh, is like the Irish accent because it always it always goes up at the end. And back down, like it always just has this like kind of movement that it goes. It goes oh, and they yeah. just have words like, like, like they don't say Ireland; they say like Ireland, like oi, Ireland. Like it just this weird kind of like movement up and down. <laughs> I just they they just they're not monotone. They're never monotone. They always got to go like you know all around the place. And the same thing with Scotland because Scotland just like Scotland's like an Irish accent, but like times ten. They just go even more extreme in their in their sways and the tone. It's kind of fascinating. Yeah, and we're over here just sounding like a bunch of morons, too. Yeah, we're very nasal. To, to the rest of the English-speaking world, we're very, like, you know, nasally in the way we sound. Because we say, like, you know, like water, and they're like, water. Is that more rounded sound, like, tone to it? Unless you're from Philly, then it's wooter. Wooter. Uh, from New York, it's water. A bottle of water. All right, I'm I'm done insulting people now. <laughs> All right, so that's what uh, the people are here to here for. <laughs> hear me shit talk and and do really bad impressions of accents, accents and impressions day. Hey man, if, if anyone comes up and asks a question, you could you could do it in a in a random uh random accent. accent from around the I, world. I made my- my computer language is not so much human languages, so I'm probably I'm probably one of the worst people in the world to do that. Yeah, I mean it wouldn't be the first time we did have Borat up here that one time. Oh yeah, that was awesome actually. <laughs> we do actually we do have a couple Irish so, people in, in the community. I don't remember. Yep, someone come on board with a thick Irish accent. Yeah, someone from the community. Um, it uh, is an Irish tattoo artist, and he did a, a sick, uh, like veneer threads skateboard with with the with the shoes on it and stuff like that. It, it's super cool. Um, shout out to I, I want to say it's Jat Nassi is how you pronounce the name. Uh, just super talented tattoo artist at a at a Dublin or somewhere around there. <laughs> hit, hit up the Thorchad tattoo artist if you're from the area. <laughs> I wonder how many people have rune tattoos. <laughs> There's got to be someone. Not I. 
All right, let's get into uh, into savers. So it looks like um, savers rollout is is officially happening. It looks like the node vote passed last night. So um, savers, let, let's go through the, uh, the the rollout plan. So I, I think at this point, um, just waiting for front ends to get uh, some of their UIs together, so that way there could be like a, a very usable interface. And I know that Thor Wallet and Thor Swap are working on uh, different front-end interfaces for the the savers vault feature so uh yeah is there anything else to the to the rollout of of uh savers vaults chad uh no that's mostly it i think i think uh the dev team wants to do another round of like internal testing just to like you know verify some things and so forth and so on so uh assuming no bugs or issues are found and the you know uis roll out their their uis then you know we'll be seeing happen fairly soon And you could actually deposit in in the pools right now. It, it's possible to just do a, a a savers deposit. There's just no front end for it yet. So if you're trying if you're trying to get in early, it, it's very very possible to, to to do so. I've tested it out already. I, I, there's there's a couple savers in the Bitcoin and ETH pools. Yeah, I, I wouldn't do it just because it's just, you're just gonna put capital there just to sit there and do nothing. It's not, not going to earn you any yield or any of these things. So nor are you going to get a better yield because you jumped in earlier or anything like this. So it's like there's no real monetary reason to do so i mean if you you can if you really want to if it, if it floats your boat but like that's not really a strong benefit to it no just the flex of being one of the first savers on on hey, if you want to flex flex away so yeah uh that so to to start off it'll just be uh just be on for bitcoin let's let's go through some of the different uh like there's no configurable parameters around single side view that that's just that's just on and off right there's there's really no uh uh tinkering around that we have to do in there to, to make sure all the all the settings are right it's just yield is on and then savers start start earning yield when lps do yep yep It's so simple. Like, there's <laughs> not even that much to to, to go with it. There's nothing, nothing you got to do. You just deposit, and you just get yield. So, what else is there to what else is there to do? Yeah, that, that's part of like the the desire to have this feature. Uh, one of the main things is it was the just the cognitive simplicity of it, right? Like, making things really complicated for people to understand what they're investing into is is obviously a barrier to entry, which creates you know, obviously less people contributing to the liquidity of the network. But if you give them something that's very cognitively simple, like you just deploy an asset and you get yield on that asset and there's no, you don't have to worry about like crazy things like increment loss and these other kind of wacky, wackadoo things that are conceptually those things and, and by themselves are very like complicated, are hard to understand the mathematics behind those things. And, and you know, most people aren't going to really understand the, the details of how IL works and Oh, they get confused one day because like their yield is down for some reason. They're like, why am I at a negative all of a sudden? I was up 200 bucks yesterday, but now I'm like down 50 bucks. Like what the hell is happening here? Like it's still confusing and like a bad UX, but it was savers. It's like kind of the inverse of that. It's more of like, Oh, I put in one Bitcoin and now it's like, you know, one point something. And now, Oh, the next day it's one point something plus something. And it's just, you know, every day it's just the number is basically increasing and, you know, it'll change the amount it's increasing per day based upon market conditions and what, what have you. But like, but at least it's just going in a single direction for the most part. The only way you actually lose your yield uh, in savings is just from entrance and a- exits. Like a, you know, entering the with the savers, you pay sl- slip fees to enter it, and they pay slip fees on the way out. That's the only um, 
cases or scenarios where you walk out with uh, less? The yield could go to effectively like zero, though, if if the IL is really high, right? It just wouldn't go negative. You can't lose other than right, storage. right. Like you might have a day where you, your yield for the day is zero. Right? That's that's theoretically possible, but it's not going to go, you know, from one Bitcoin to not zero point ninety nine Bitcoin like it would for IL. Right, like you're not giving up what you've already earned. Like it doesn't go backwards. Correct. It doesn't go backwards. Yeah, it doesn't go backwards. Correct. There's also an open space. Anyone can come up and request. We already have a question from TMT Capital. Hey. Hey, how's it going, guys? Can you hear yeah. me? Cool. Um, so, yeah, I haven't been too active or joining these for quite a while, honestly, since like the whole Luna fucking fiasco, but uh, never never got rid of uh, my rune. I have it LP'd with USD. But the savers thing, I wanted to join this because – Sounds awesome. And I do have Bitcoin that's sitting on my ledger. And I'm wondering what the process would be to, well, A, if I can utilize the ledger for this and B, what the process would be to, in a sense, get started on that and when that can happen. Yeah, you can definitely use a ledger. Um, and so once the like, you know, let's take TorSwap, for example, with like a good, good example for this case. Uh, once the TorSwap UI supports it and the feature is enabled and everything's kind of live, whatever. Then you would just go into Thorshop UI, you would connect your wallet, which in this case would be a ledger, and you would you know select the Bitcoin pool and hit, you know, add to savers or whatever the UI is going to be. I have no idea. I haven't seen it myself. Uh, and then it just makes a transaction from your ledger to the network, and then away you go. Okay, that's easy enough. Uh, and then as far as, like, adding the Bitcoin into it, I assume you're going to need some sort of... Is it rune? Is it a rune um, transaction fee, or is it just taken out of the Bitcoin directly? Or no, everything's in Bitcoin, so it just gets, oh, okay. everything gets taken right out of the original Bitcoin deposit. I would just leave a, just a little bit enough for gas, so that way you can uh, withdraw when whenever uh, you know you're done. You're done with your position, unless you want to add more to your your Bitcoin wallet to withdraw. Okay, because you do need to send yeah. another like a small like gas transaction around like a little bit more than ten thousand sats to to withdraw. Okay. So as long as you keep that in your wallet to, to take it out at a future time, then you just withdraw the layer one Bitcoin later. It's, it's all just on the on the BTC blockchain. Cool. Yeah, you could literally all technically right, even do it without an interface. All you need is your Bitcoin wallet and you're just sending it to another Bitcoin wallet that ThorChain controls with a memo and then uh, the same thing to, to withdraw. But yeah, on ThorSwap, it'll be super simple. Um, I've seen, I've seen what's coming. It's, we're really trying to make it just as, as simplified as possible. So, you know, there isn't a whole lot of info. It's just like, what's the APR, right. uh, you know, what asset are you depositing? Click deposit, sign it. Um, it'll show you, uh, well, it'll display like the slippage for entering. You need to understand that aspect, but you know, it'll show what you deposited, how much you've earned, what's withdrawable, withdraw button. Uh, really that's kind of all you need for it. Um, and yeah, you can do, you can connect Ledger directly to ThorSwap, or if you like using uh, Ledger with XDeFi, you can connect that as well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I currently use XDeFi for the, uh, the Rune BUSD, but that's all, that's all sounds pretty easy. I mean, obviously it's too early to know, but I mean, any estimates on what this type of yield would look like, or is it just dependent upon how deep it is and how many people are participating? Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to, to, to guess these things because it's it's based upon market conditions. And so it depends what the market, how the market reacts to the feature. My assumption, and I could be wrong about this, is the yield's going to be rather low just because, 
you're giving people decentralized yield on Bitcoin, which is <clears throat> basically our first in our industry. And the demand for that feature will probably be high because the demand is high. The, the yield will naturally reflect the, the, the demand, right? So like in, a, in, a, in, a, in an inverse way. So if the demand is really high, the yield will naturally be low, right? So I'm not, I'm not expecting the yield to be like bonkers high. I'm expecting it to be bonkers low, if, if anything. This is my 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 guess of what's going to yeah, happen. Yeah, that but makes you, sense. You, we, we don't really know what's gonna what it's gonna be. Like, I'd be I'd be like maybe a percent, like one percent yields. Like maybe that'd be pretty mm-hmm. good, or like maybe half a percent. Like that's what I'm gonna be guessing. Like, but obviously it just depends on you know the market to figure out what the yield better than be. zero. Yeah, and it'll be roughly half of what the dual sided LP is, right? So I know there's a little bit of funny math around that where it's not exactly half, but roughly half is probably a good uh, heuristic for people. Um, yeah. And yeah. Then, but you also have to consider that's at the current depth at the current right. swap rates, right? So as the depth increases, that yield goes down, but as volumes increase, then that that yield goes up. So really, it like it is completely dependent on volumes and the depth of the pool, which the depth of the pool will likely be increasing a lot because a lot of people will be depositing. And, but, you know, we're also doing doing work to increase increase the volume too. So it really depends on where, where things go and, uh, you know, in what direction on that front. Right. And as the, as the pool depths increase, the sentiment pendulum swings toward, away from the pools and towards the nodes. So nodes will start earning a higher yield. Like I'm expecting the nodes yield to go up significantly as part of this feature and the pools yield to go just to go down in general just because the market is pushing a lot of capital into the pools, which just naturally causes the, the yield to go more towards the nodes and away from the um, away from the, the pools. So that, I think that's probably going to happen as well, is my guess. But again, we don't really know until the market responds. Yeah, and then volume, you know, with all the efforts on integrations and things like that, like that's the real lever because, you know, maybe you can have 10 times, 100 times more people, more liquidity earning that same 1% or whatever, like the, that, all of those added fees are what's going to support that and allow it to scale up and let more people in at the same rate. Right. Like the, like the rate will probably self-regulate based on what you were describing, Chad, like just like what the market determines is the appropriate rate. But then the more swaps are funding that, the, the more, the larger that pool can be at that same rate. Right. Like the, each individual person needs to look at this situation and say to themselves of like, okay, let's say the Bitcoin yields at like half a percent, let's just say, right? For the sake of discussion. And, you know, you're not taking on any, any price risk. You're not taking on any like, you know, other risks other than protocol risk, right? You're taking on protocol loss. You're giving the, the network your Bitcoin and the risk the protocol has towards that Bitcoin, whatever those risks may be, like another exploit, for example, or, or some sort of bug, blah, 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 like whatever it might be. Like there's always, there's always the protocol risk, no matter what DeFi app that you're talking about, right? And so you can ask yourself the question of like, oh, okay, it, what, what is the protocol risk? Like what is the value of that protocol risk in your head? Like whatever you think the likelihood of there being an issue or not. And then there's also like, what is the yield? Okay, half a percent, one percent, a thousand percent, like whatever the hell that that number's gonna be. And everybody just has to make a determination for themselves of like, oh, you know, this too, the protocol risk is too high for half a percent, but like if it's you know one percent, that's probably worthwhile for me. And someone else might say something the inverse of that or not or whatever, right? Like everybody's got to make their own determinations for themselves, and then the free market will determine what the yield of this asset, this this savers for Bitcoin, for example, should be. Just point the free market saying. I think this is worth the, the risk of the protocol. I want that X number of yield. Another person saying, I don't want it, so I'm going to go ahead and leave or, or not join to begin with. And then eventually, just the market just kind of figures out the correct answer, whatever that is.
Cool. Hope that was able to answer your question. If other people have questions about the, like the dynamics of, you know, how this stuff works or, you know, how you'll be able to deposit it or um, whatever, you just hit the request button and, and pop up. Thanks, uh, TMT. Yeah, I don't know if it's too nuanced to get into right here. Maybe we need some diagrams, but there is a lot of confusion just around like how that yield is calculated. Um, anything you want to yeah. try to simplify on that? So uh, no, nothing that we'll be able to do <laughs> in, in voice, I don't think. Uh, so yield is calculated with Luvi. Uh, and uh, Luvi is liquidity unit value index. And there's a, a Medium article that was put out on this over the summer. Um, and it, it basically, um, it it's a way to calculate uh, the yield of a pool that is um, irrespective of price. So the, the the price of the individual assets don't actually um, don't actually matter. It just uh, it, this this number only goes up when once more value is added to the pools. So once there's swap fees or, or block rewards that that come into the pools, that Luby value goes up. But the, the actual the, the price movements don't. Um, don't, don't make so much of a difference. I believe the price ratios do, and IL does does um, play a factor there. But uh, the the actual prices of the assets themselves don't actually matter for this this Luby score so much. This is a a new metric that that's what that's what's currently used to determine the APRs in the pools. Like if you go to ThorSwap right now, and uh, you look at the the APRs, what what ThorSwap does, I believe, is it looks at the uh, the Luby value from for the Bitcoin pool. It looks at the Luby value from 180 days ago, from the the, the longest uh, period that it looks at. I believe it's 180 days, and then it looks at the Luby value today and says, "Okay, what's the difference between the Luby value 180 days ago and today?" And uh, then it says, "All right, that's the yield for the last six months. Uh, so, what does that look like if you stay in the pool for a year? So that just doubles the the Luby value. So, uh, sorry, it doubles that uh, that gain, that percentage gain. So." Um, over a six-month period, the Luby value must have increased about uh, 1.2% because the APR is about 2% right now on, on, on uh, ThorSwap. So you could look at any other pool, and I believe it, it selects the, the longest possible period for, uh, for an asset that has uh, a Luby score, like a, like a newer asset like Atom, which has only been around for uh, two or three months. It, it, that's not using 180 days of data because there aren't 180 days of data on ThorSwap, but something like Bitcoin, ETH, that's all using long-term data. And then uh, it's all calculated with Luby. So it's not actually using the uh, the, the pool prices because the, the math gets a little funky when, once you start getting into, uh, you know, asset prices and, and things like that and switching, you know, switching from, you know, ETH to, to Rune or whatever. So it just uses Luby. Check out that article uh, on, on Luby if you're interested in, in learning about how the yield is actually calculated. Yeah, Luvi itself is kind of a, a difficult thing to understand. It's a difficult thing to describe and explain. Um, so kind of at some, some level, like, requires you just to dive into the math yourself to, to kind of understand the nuances of it. But, like, maybe one way to describe it, and hopefully this is not – this is doing it justice or whatever, but um, is that, like, Luvi attempts to figure out, like, how much fees have been collected in this pool. And it doesn't matter if the, you know, the Bitcoin price went up or the room price went down or – Whatever it's just irrespective to the the price movements of the various assets in the network, it's trying to say okay at this point in time you know the pools like 
not value, but like let's position was this. And then a week later, it's now higher, right? And that difference between those two numbers is like trying to express how much yield was generated in this pool, right? Like that, at a high level, that's basically what, what's, what's happening to a certain extent, right? Uh, and so the, by using that kind of idea of like, oh, okay, the, the, the pool, you know, grew by, you know, 2% due to the yield. Um, from that number, we can kind of figure out how much of that 2% yield should the savers get and then do some quick math, figure that out, and then like mint some cents to the savers and like, oh, here's your yield. That's just, this, you're, you're up, you're pretty much, you're, you're up only interest that's happening here. Um, the problem though, with, with, with Luvi though, and something we've been kind of like struggling with for a long time in some sense is that like, Luvi worked extremely well, actually perfectly well, before there were cents. Like the way, it's way of expressing the yield generated within a pool over a period, get any given period of time from point A to point B. Uh, worked extremely well and very effective. But as soon as we added sense in situation, that really kind of with like dynamic units and all these things that so like that really kind of changed the effectiveness of Luby because because like it kind of could be it could be skewed in one direction or the other direction depending upon how many synth units had changed over the time period of whatever, right? Um, so that's always been kind of like we've been looking for for a long for months now and, and nobody's been able to come up with a new way of calculating Luby that, that accounts for, for, for synth um, price changes and like this kind of stuff. Um, so like, that's something we, we're, it's another area of like mathematical research that I think myself and other people are interested in uh, try, trying to figure out a new, a new way of calculating Luby that's more effective and more efficient than the current one we have. But for right now, I think it's what we work. It works well enough for what we need and we can kind of move forward with it. And then, you know, hopefully improve it as time goes on. Yeah, Luvi is one of those complicated little things, and it it, it brings into question like something that we've been discussing. And I know uh, you know Pluto has been talking about this. Like, how do you actually display the yield, and what is the? I'm I'm curious to get your guys' take or people in the audience. If people have opinions on this, you can definitely come up and let us know. Um, so like like the way that ThorSwap does it is, as I said before, it looks at the longest possible period for, um, for the pool up to 180 days, I believe. And so it, you, what you're looking at in that yield is reflected in, it's a long-term period of data where, where the alternative is look at say the last 30 days of yield. And obviously that's a lot more volatile and it could go, uh, you know, it, it could be, uh, you know, very close to zero, or it could, it could go zero, or, or or negative over a short period of time, just because of impermanent loss in the pool. Uh, so, looking at long long term periods of data gives a better view on what a long term LP would be experiencing, but it also misses out on that on that like short volatility. Uh, you know, when things start start changing rapidly, that that number doesn't change as quickly because it's looking at a, a very long sample period of you know 180 days of of data you know lo looking back to, to april at this point uh where, where you'd be looking at that like two and a half percent number for the bitcoin yields or you know you look at the past 30 days and it's it's more like five percent uh if you were to extrapolate out that uh you know if the if the performance of the past 30 days continued for the next year you'd be looking at like five percent yield on the, on the bitcoin pool so it really depends on on time frame and you know uh, I'm curious to get people's takes on what what is better for for the user. Is it to get that longer, 
that longer time period where people uh, you get more data from the past or is it better to get that shorter that time period to more accurately reflect the uh, the recent yields in the pool of the past month rather than the past, you know, six months? What do you guys think? Uh, I mean, my opinion is just longer time frames better. Um, it, it's more if you're trying to make a determination um, to like put your Bitcoin into savers, for example, and earn a yield on it, you're, you're probably not at least you probably are thinking in the context of a long-term investment. Like you're probably not going to like, Oh, I'm going to put it in for like 16 hours and then pull it out. Like that wouldn't be, that wouldn't make much sense. And so you're probably, especially in a bear market where you just want to park your capital somewhere and just let it earn yield for the next two years while we're still trying to work out, work through the bear market and eventually get back into the bulls. But like, so because your investment is like on a long-term horizon, you should take a long-term horizon of like how you look at it, you know, the yield, like, so that that makes the most sense to me, but there's also this, this other caveat of like, um, when you look at a long term investment, a long term like calculating the yield, there's a lot of things that happened in those six months or in those one year or whatever the time frame is that can also change and manipulate the the yield for those twelve months or so six months. And so it's like, just because the last six months were you know X yield doesn't mean the next six months are also going to be X yield like. Obviously, that's there's no correlation there, like no strong correlation. It's because markets could go bull again. Markets could get more bear, right? And all these things can affect uh, the yield of a particular pool. So it's like, it, at some level, like the longer for time frame you look out from in the past of how much yield it is, it's probably the 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 reasonable best way of view of of knowing what the future yield may be, or like the the the, the, the best guess you can reasonably make. But obviously. Nobody ever really knows what the yield's going to be in the next yeah, twelve months. Exactly. In the end, all it, all it really tells you is this was the yield of the past six months, not this will be the yield of the next six months or the next year. Uh, it, it's 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 past looking, not not forward looking. Although, right. like you know, it, it's it's like it, it's this like people think of APYs as this forward looking thing, but it's actually a, a it's a it's a backwards looking metric that looks at the yield of the past and says like if this if this exact performance were to continue. Or if you entered at this at this time, you know, six months ago, this is what your yield would be, not like this is what your yield will be going forward. Yeah, that's why I'm torn, because ideally what people really want is to know exactly what they're about to earn. Right. Like that's what they that's the one thing they want to know when they're entering. Fixed rate? The pool. <laughs> yeah, fixed rate. But I mean, even people are used to like incentivized degen LPs and stuff. And it's like, oh, it's earning 700 percent right now. Like I'll just get in for like a day until it goes down or whatever. And like, that's definitely not how, how these numbers are displayed. If it's, if it's backwards looking and especially if it's like six months backwards looking, but at the same time, I understand that that's like more accurate and less uh, spiky and volatile just based on like, you know, doing a really short time period. But yeah, I'm kind of torn because of that. Yeah. There's also a mid, there's a middle ground too. Like you could do like a 90, uh, like a 90 day, uh, like a you know that that would be basically a quarterly view of what the, what the yield would be looking at the last quarter uh, of of data like how do, how does that look if that quarter's if that quarter's uh, performance is repeated for the next four then that's what that's what the yield is so like I don't know that that's just like a yeah uh, but but that's a huge thing because that that's the number that everyone everyone sees when they go on on the site they're like oh this is the yield for the for the Bitcoin pool and uh, right. Do you want that to be a volatile number, or would you rather that be like a a, a low, smooth, flat number, or or what? 
it would also miss extreme changes, right? Like kind of like what Chad was saying, but like hypothetically, like what if, what if the Bitcoin pool depth hundred X and then it was still displaying like the, the trailing average that would be off by like many orders of magnitude. Right. (laughs) But I don't know. What can you do? (laughs) Yeah. um, So someone made a great dashboard for this actually to look at the, uh, like the charts of, of the, of the APRs. And it, it kind of helps, it helps me visualize at least the difference between like a 30 day look back period and like a 180 day look back period or anything in between. It's on a thorchain.net. So if you go to thorchain.net slash insights slash APR, or you just navigate on the side uh, on thorchain.net, uh, there's a really great uh, chart. You can click any pool that's on thorchain and then you can change the look back period from 30 days, to 60 days to 90 days to 180 days. And you can see what the uh, what the APR looks like, and you can kind of see how that changes over time. And when you change the period, how that uh, how that messes with the with the charts just based on um, the, the sample period. And hopefully, that can give people a better idea of like what it means when APR is like backwards looking and kind of tries to fit together uh, a, like a lot of a lot of different data from the past that might not be may may or may not be what happens in the future. By the way, like um, when people are in savers, like they get their yield, uh, well, gets paid out like in a cycle, like or, or, or kind of like I call it an epoch. Some people call it an epoch in this industry. Um, so instead of getting a continuous yield, like you do as a regular LPs you do today, like you enter and you leave five minutes later and you get whatever yield you got within that five minutes, whatever that would be. Uh, here, it's just like it's paying out yield to savers like on a routine, probably it's going to be like 24 hours. I'm not really quite sure. I have to have a conversation with the dev team, with the nine realms team to figure out what makes the most sense. My leaning is personal leaning is probably like closer to like, like once a day, the network will just figure out the yield is and then pay savers with their, with their owed. Um, but maybe the best way to calculate yield is actually looking at the, the daily payouts of savers over the time span of like, let's just call it 90 days or, or like, you know, six months or whatever. And then instead of taking the average of those days and averaging out and that being a number, maybe it makes most sense just to do a median of those days. So instead of doing like averaging it out, you're looking at like the most frequently used number with, within the daily emissions of, of yield for those savers. And that way you're like, you're basically eliminating oddities. So you're eliminating, uh, if, like, if there was one day with like, just say one day had like a trillion dollars of income, right? And an average, you would look at this the last six, six days and you say, oh, I got like, you know, one point, you know, zero, 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 one trillion yield <laughs> divided by, you know, 60 days, whatever, uh, or 90 days, whatever the number is. And then be like, oh, the yield's this crazy high number. In reality, it was only, whoa, <laughs> that startled me there. Uh, uh the reality is it's not that number reality is like that was just one day that was an anomaly in the situation. And we shouldn't really like look at that as part of the yield. Cause it's just one day that something happened in the markets that caused that to happen. But, it would, but there's no reason, maybe there's not likely to happen or a reason to believe that it would happen in the future. And so instead you look, look at the average, you look at the median and then it has gives you maybe a more fair or more reasonably minded way of looking at the yields of the, of the savers accounts. Interesting. Yeah, but if you're doing the median, though, um, hmm, I, I guess I guess I would need to see like what what that looks like on 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 the data because I mean it, it's just a different way of calculating it than uh, I, like does that right. which way does that skew that like 
you know, every every single like method of calculation has like some kind of like drawback. And and the other, the other thing is like all these other services, you, like I don't know if they're uh, open about so open about like how they actually cal- like what periods do they, do they look back on? How do they actually calculate their their yields and, and things like that? So like I I feel like that like the, uh, the you know everyone that's in this space they they have like kind of everyone has their own expectation, which is does not necessarily align to the reality of how every single service like include like like something like like coinbase's like custodial earn service uh how do they calculate their 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 yield in their app like they they just play some kind of number where you know you deposit this many uh this many eth and they they give you maybe like you know uh, four or five percent how do they calculate that that four or five percent like like where is that number coming from what what is the <laughs> what determines that number and i'm sure everyone here has has an idea of how they do that but no one knows exactly how, uh how they do that so this is just you know this is an open conversation if, if people have a uh, you know strong opinions or like uh you know would like to say something about how they 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 think of the the yield uh you know that could be helpful to us so under consideration also, for the record, I thought that uh, that, that that flingy emoji. I thought that was gonna be like a cash register sound emoji for when there's a trillion dollars a yield. But <laughs> a, it just turned into a flinging emoji. <laughs> I don't know why, but that sound was extremely loud in my earbuds. I don't know if it was just me or, or whatever, but like it just startled the fuck out of me. <laughs> I was just like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> yeah, that's it. Loudest shit in my ears. I don't know why. <laughs> Anybody got anything you want to bring up? Questions from the audience? Q&A? Ask me anything? AMA? I don't know if, uh, if Pluto wants to come up and talk about the, the yields a little bit, because I know that's something we were we were talking a, a little bit about, just like the the design of it and just, just making it, you know, because there needs to be a default somewhere, like a default value that's displayed in Midgard. And I pinned up the, the old the old Luvi and Midgard APR calculation article from the summer. Uh, so if, you, if you're actually interested in like how the APR is calculated and learning about Luvi and stuff like that, you can just you can just click that. And, uh, you know, that was a conversation we had over the over the summer trying to figure out how do we more accurately display pool yields. And this is what we ended up with. So this is the result of that. And now uh, now that now we got savers, so we can use Luby for that too. So it's useful knowledge to have if you're, uh, you know, way too deep into this space for your own good. So yeah, anything else on on savers? I don't think there's anything else on savers. Unless anybody else wants to ask a question or whatever, we can move on to a different topic. So is yield going to be enabled the same time that? interfaces are launching and there's kind of like more of a not official but semi-official sort of launch is that the plan because the vote already passed two-thirds right but then that's just a symbolic vote is that right yeah 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 so the reason why we had a symbolic vote like you could have done just directly and just have it be enabled by the community directly and, and that would have been fine of course but the reason why we did a symbolic vote is just because we wanted the the, the Mamir admin to be able to, to turn off the feature like immediately if there was say we found some bug or some exploit or some issue like you know tomorrow or or, or whatever it doesn't matter we wanted to be the ability to, to dis- disable that feature very quickly and then fix the bug and then carry on if if the nodes had voted to turn it on then we would have required the nodes to vote to turn it off and that would of, of course would have taken you know 
hours, like six hours, 12 hours, 24, like who knows, like whatever the quantity of hours would be required. Um, and so that we want to have a more quicker and faster response to any bugs or issues that are found, especially in the beginning when there's obviously more likely to be issues and bugs in the beginning because it's a brand new feature, you know, so kind of getting, getting its, its, its kind of sea legs in a matter of speaking. I think over time though, like maybe in six months or so, if, if the nodes just wanted to, to vote on this, have another vote and just to take over the, the control of the flag that enables and disables this feature, the feature flag, they can do that. That's fine. But I think in the beginning, it's just, it's just, it's just to be cautious, to be slow, to be, you know, um, more on the responsible side of launching like a major new feature. We want to make sure that we have the ability to like have full control over that feature in the initial days to make sure there's any issues we can respond uh, quickly and efficiently and minimize any effects. Can't argue with that. Makes perfect sense. Yeah. Oh, in terms of timing, yes, the timing. Um, I definitely want, we want to wait for the UIs to be ready and available. And so we're, we're waiting for confirmation from our various UIs to kind of let us know when they're ready to go. Um, internally within the, 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 uh, the, the dev team, we have more testing we want to do and verification of some things. Um, we also have, need to have conversations about like some of the, the Mamir aspects or the, or the um, kind of like the, the levers on the feature. Like, okay, do we want to do, you know, that, that whole epoch thing I mentioned earlier, do we want to do like once a day or once a week or once a six hours or what? And there's like a handful of those kind of controls or little levers we want to kind of discuss internally and to figure out what we feel is a reasonable way to, to start it um, to, for first launch purposes. And then, uh, yeah, then I think at that point we'd be ready. We can, we can go ahead and enable the feature and all that kind of stuff. So um, probably won't happen today. I'm assuming I don't think the UIs will be ready today, but um, next week I, I, I hope to see it. Yeah. I think ThorSwap will definitely be ready after the weekend um, from what I'm hearing. Yep. Yep. So early. That'd be great. Hey, thank you. Hey, gentlemen. Thank you for bringing me up. Uh, and congrats for being so close to finally launch the saving vaults. I think uh, even if right now we're in the bear market and maybe not everybody's paying attention, I think this is a huge step forward, as you also mentioned uh, before. So uh, really much looking forward to it. And uh, Chad, thank you for kind of uh, discussing a bit on the Discord, right? Kind of, what is now the APR? Let's see <laughs> what it finally is. <laughs> it's really not that that uh, easy and also the Luby stuff, but I think that stuff that probably not, that's not relevant for people, right? Ultimately, it's like they need to go to APR, they need to feel comfortable with it. So what I would like to ask you to you guys is like, do you see any problems with that the APR, maybe for example, on the Bitcoin, Bitcoin vault is too low at the moment, right? Because I guess it would be just very low around maybe one or 2%. So do you see there a challenge in people then joining the vault and saying, yes, let's do it, let's use it? Or do you have any thoughts around this? I mean, I would prefer, if I had a magic wand, I could do whatever the hell I wanted. I would prefer to launch this thing with a very low yield on purpose, just because uh, we don't want to create like a frenzy on day one. Like we don't want to say like, oh, the yield's 80%. I can enforce 80% yield on savers magically somehow and, and do that. I still wouldn't want to do that just because we want to launch it with a low yield uh, to get, you know, a handful of people engaged with it, you know, so to speak, or a lower quantity of people, just so that we can give us time to kind of like find some, you know, issues or bugs and, 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 and kind of squash those issues before we like, you know, huge quantities of people and huge quantities of capital just kind of yolo into the system. 
Um, generally speaking, we always try to launch things slowly, like main, main features as slow as we reasonably can, just to make sure that we don't have any major issues or bugs in the early days. And then as we get, once we feel more comfortable and confident that's all working as planned and everything's right and everything's kind of leveling out the way we want it to level out, we feel confident about that, then we can kind of like increase that stuff. But the yield, like we don't have control of the yield at all. I don't, I don't have any... Other than the context of one of the mirrors allows me allows the the network to control the yield. Right now, that's set to fifty percent. So if you put in a hundred dollars of the value, your hundred dollars is earning you know another hundred dollars, just to say. And so instead of taking back that hundred dollars that you earned, you take back fifty percent. And so if we wanted to, we could start off the yield at a lower than fifty percent. We could do like thirty percent or twenty percent or you know arbitrarily whatever number we wanted to, just to enforce a smaller yield in the earlier days to give us like more time of just testing the feature in the, in the real world and with real economics and math and all these things. And, and to make sure everything is, you know, working accordingly. Part of that dynamic too, is um, how, how bullish are people on rune, right? Cause they can still dual sided dual side LP and earn more overall. And then also have potential upside in the rune asset and like the market has already spoken and driven the yield quite low in the BTC pool because you can't get yield on BTC basically anywhere else. And the people in the network right now want that exposure to rune, right? So it's like already one of the lowest pools. So yeah, I think that plays part two is if you can, if you, if you want exposure to rune, then you're still probably going to do that if you have a bunch of rune. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, like like I said before, like we still have, to have conversations internally in the dev team about those like the mere lovers and that yield lever that I was referring to is one of those lovers, right? And so we had to, I think we were, yeah, we still have, to have conversations about that kind of stuff. But good question to ask, though. Uh, brought up Andres. Hey. Good morning, everyone. Uh, first of all, kudos to all the the entire team. You guys are doing an amazing uh, job. You all are hustlers and I love it. Um, so my question is, uh, many uh, more traditional financial institutions are coming into the industry. They are offering crypto to re retail investors. My first question is, um, do you think that's a threat or is there a concern to, for the decentralized exchanges? And my second question is, do you guys see uh, an opportunity here maybe to integrate Torchain's uh, services and products on the back end of these big financial institutions? Thank you. Yeah, I, mean, I don't see it as a threat in the least, just because um, what, we're, what we're doing, what we're accomplishing here is not something that can be reproduced within the, the centralized world. Like they can't, they always require, will always require KYC and they always require these things. And so, um, is, tons of people could can be coming and institutions can be gone, but they're still going to be obliged to obey the same set of rules as everybody else that preceded them. Uh, so more doesn't really matter. We're already just doing something that doesn't really, is kind of disjointed from the quantity of institutions. Um, so I'm not terribly concerned about that. In fact, I'd be bullish about it because it just means that more people will hold crypto and more people will likely opt to use a free and open and transparent system over a closed black box and controlled system uh, over the long term. Um, what, sorry, what's the second question again? Whether ThorChain would be uh, implemented into the back end of some of these financial institutions. 
Um, that's a good question. I would hope so. It's hard. It's kind of hard to say because uh, I don't know what the regulatory requirements are for them. So it is possible, uh, for example, like, um, you know, a Galaxy Digital, for example, if they wanted to trade on ThorChain, because the capital they're interfacing with, the LP that they're interfacing with, uh, is not KYC capital, does that mean that they are not able to trade or interact in some way? That's a kind of a gray area that some people say yes to that question and some people say no to that question. And of course, um, as SEC always does, just doesn't say anything at all. And it makes it you know very hard to understand what the actual rules are. So to me, it's like they will do it when it makes sense and they will do it when it doesn't make sense. And because of the lack of regulatory you know, clarity, it's hard to know whether something does or does not make sense. <laughs> if that makes sense. <laughs> uh, th- thank you. Thank you. To read a little deeper into that question, I, I, I do think that, uh, like, when you say financial institutions, I'm just talking about just crypto projects in, in general and uh, people that would be interested in, uh, you know, ha- have it, having access to ThorChain's liquidity. And uh, I think the answer to that is a resounding yes, that institutions and, you know, serve apps and services will continue to integrate ThorChain, just as we've seen the, the past couple of months, a, a ton of interest in getting ThorChain just as as rails to do native asset swaps in, in the background. So we're the only service that could uh, that, that can do this, really. Uh, we think there's going to be a, a ton of interest going forward, just getting getting ThorChain swapped on, especially with uh, with with yield. Um, all, all of these products are, are like really desirable for all these institutions because there's uh, there's there's so many gatekeepers in, in this in this industry uh, that you know they, they, they all want to cut and they all require you know obviously things like uh, like KYC uh, and this is the only this is the only way uh, that that you can implement these things without uh, without those requirements or going through those uh, centralized services this is the only permissionless way to implement uh, Bitcoin swaps on on your not custodial wallet, for for example, or or dexes. I think we'll see a, a lot of stuff like that in, in the near future, as we've been seeing the past couple of months. Okay, that 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 responds my question. Thank you, guys. Cool, cool. So. Yes. So after uh, Savings Vaults, um, which is obviously the, the next exciting thing, we all can't wait for that. But then there's a protocol on liquidity, which kind of uh, works in there with, with Savers Vaults. So um, th- there is some capacity for Savers Vaults before protocol on liquidity starts coming into play. But uh, so, so, Chad, what are, you, what are you thinking about with, you know, the, the rollout to uh, protocol on liquidity, like when, when we actually uh, turn that on? Uh, is that like when we start reaching the caps or like probably after we enable a couple of of, uh, of pools for the savers vaults, we, we up it from just Bitcoin to, to others or kind of, uh, you know, how do you, how do you think about that? Uh, also, yeah, that, that is something that we didn't talk about when like when is it that we actually start stepping up savers and going to other other pools like like ETH, uh, BNB, Doge <laughs> or, or whatever. Well, so savers will be, when we launch it, it'll be available in all of the gas assets. So like one asset per chain, which is the primary asset per chain. Uh, POL will be maybe a little bit different from that possibly. But um, so when we launch savers, you know, people can start adding Bitcoin to their heart's content until it hits some sort of cap. Like, for example, Bitcoin, 
the the centralization for Bitcoin uh, relative to the, to the pool depth is like two and a half percent, right? And the limit right now is set to, I think it's fifteen uh, percent. I want to say, um, or maybe can't remember. Maybe thirty percent. Can't remember. Can't remember off the top of my head. But um, so that's a lot of space for savers to come in, and when they do that, you know, they create a lot of buy pressure on the root asset, which is always great, of course. Um, so I guess we're just going to launch it and then wait a little bit, see how the like market responds to the feature. Uh, if we start seeing that that the that we're starting to hit the synth cap on a bunch of the pools, like Bitcoin, for example, or ETH, or or whatever, then we can start to have a conversation about like enabling POL specifically for those pools that that kind of deem it um, uh, the demand is there for. Um, and when we do that, I think we're going to do that in a more of a cautious way. Um, and so we'll limit the amount of room that the reserve is, is allowed to, to deploy uh, into those um, pools we choose are, are, are worth it. Um, and it'll be very slow in how it deploys that room. Like it won't be very fast. It'll be very, very, very slow. Uh, and then over time, as we feel more comfortable or confident in the, the math at all and everything's working the way we expect it to work and there's no bugs or whatever, then we can kind of like ramp things up over time. But uh, I think the intention is though, that like if we were to go to the POL, we would want to push the uh, the synth cap to 50% of the pool um, of the pool depth, right? And the reason why that is, is because if you go below 50%, you're creating a net negative, uh, um, net negative cell pressure, or, or, or you're creating a, a net cell pressure on the rune asset if you have like, the PUL getting engaged at, at 40% or 30% or 10% or whatnot. Uh, and so every time somebody's adding like $1 worth of savings uh, to the a Bitcoin to the network or whatever, it's they, we're creating like, you know, uh, $1.2 of cell pressure on the rune asset, which is obviously nothing we, we would like to see. So we have to allow the, the, the savers to go to, to basically like occupy up to like 50% of the pool depth. Uh, before we can start enabling the, the PL. So that's a lot of space between now and then. I mean, that's we're, not, we're right now at 2.5% of, of, of synth utilization in the Bitcoin pool. To, to, go to, to, to go from 2.5% to like 50% is like, you know, a, a large distance. So we'll just kind of sit on PL for, for now and not really do anything with it. It's in the codes, ready to go. It's been tested, all these things. Uh, and then when we feel like it's the, the, the pools need it, then we'll start looking at implementing it. Or enabling it more accurately. Yep, yep, makes sense. Uh, yeah, last thing we want is to see some problems going on with the, with the reserve, <laughs> or like the reserves are like losing rune for some reason, or uh, you know. Right. That's that's why we have these kind of like soft launches in a sense, right? We kind of like to launch features with a soft launch just in case there's something going wrong or whatever. You're more likely to find those kind of, you know, bugs in the in the first few days or first few weeks or whatever. And with every day or every week, whatever, you, your likelihood of having some significant bug goes down, statistically speaking. Uh, so we like to start, start soft, start small in the beginning, and then kind of let the new feature prove itself, prove it that everything works the way we think it should work. And as, as expected, and then, you know, let things go crazy later on. So there's some questions from the comments. Uh, so first, what is the initial cap on the BTC savings vault? So the, the cap would be the uh, synthetic utilization cap, which I believe is at 30%. Uh, 
And I believe the current utilization, the current, the, the Bitcoin utilization is normally around like two or 3%. So there is still uh, many millions that could be added uh, to the, the Bitcoin savers vault. So uh, the, the cap is probably somewhere around like, I don't know, like 10 or 10 or 12 million or something like that. Just off like, you know, in my head math, I, if, if I had to, if I had to guess a number, probably somewhere around there it, it is you know prob- probably north of, of, of 10 million that can be added to uh the bitcoin savers vault before pol needs to be enabled and once pol needs to be enabled that's it's uh you know not exactly limitless but it's practically limitless so you should be able to add any any amount to the the bitcoin savers vault and the protocol and liquidity will uh basically take the other side of of that deposit to make sure there's always space to, to add to that vault yeah, initially, like we, we wouldn't actually use the POL until we get to that 50% of the pool depth. You said 30% before, which is a relative to the asset depth, 15% relative to the pool depth. Okay, yeah. And this is my fault for confusing. Like long ago, I wrote the code in a way that was a little bit confusing for people. And that's just, I'll take, take, I'll take the blame for that one. But like, right. That was um, the, re- there's a recent change, right? From, uh, from pool depth right. to asset depth now. Okay. Right, we went from asset depth to pool depth, right? Just to, it's, it's easier. It's easier to reason about. Gotcha. So right, so right now the the synth cap's at fifteen percent, and so before we can even enable the pol, that synth cap we want to push up to at minimum fifty fifty percent. At least in my opinion, that's true. And so right now it's fifteen percent. So and we are using two and a half percent utilization in the Bitcoin pool. So you know we got like twelve and a half percent, you know, of space for savers to use when we launch the feature, you know, next week or whatever. Um, and then if it hits that cap, hit the fifteen percent. Well, then we can go ahead and we can push the, the nodes can push it from fifteen uh, percent uh, synth cap to you know twenty percent or thirty percent or or some number, whatever that's going to be. Let's call it thirty percent for the discussion. And then we can see that gives more space, more savers can you know you know uh, you know dump in. Uh, and then maybe we hit that 20, that thirty percent cap. Okay, now that's, now we can kind of push it to fifty percent. All right, we hit the fifty percent. Now, you know, we don't want to keep on moving the synth cap all the way up to 100% because that would be irresponsible. Um, now, we, at that point, we, we talk about the POL and then we can enable the POL so that it can go beyond that marker. And then the, the, the POL just manages it from that point on. Hey, I brought you up uh, a waste, the guy, the alien guy. What's up, man? <laughs> Hello. Um, I can't believe I, I can't believe like I'm allowed to speak for the first time in an uh, crypto. You don't like you speak at home? <laughs> no. Yeah, I speak at home, but like this is a big for me. I'm speaking. Welcome. Welcome. Yeah, it's it's good to be here. What you got? I'm holding Rune for like. Uh, for a long time, I have made enough money from Rune, and I just love this coin. Hell yeah, bro. Cheers to my wreck. See ya. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Strong statement. Strong statement. <laughs> cool. Thank Chad, you. Back, uh, sorry, real quick. Back to, the, back to the synth cap. Uh, can you speak to like how 50%... I mean, 50% sounds kind of crazy, right? Because weren't we hearing for so long, like, oh, is it is it safe to go from 10% to 15%? And now we're talking about like 50%, which would mean like the, uh, like it's basically, if you ignore the rune half, then there's the same amount of synth liability as there is asset in the pool, right? So what, like, can you kind of explain like the safety of going up to 50%? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so 
beyond the 50% uh, marker, like if we were to go to higher than that, the P wall pushes it, kind of controls it. Like we didn't have the mechanism, we didn't have the P wall before to, to, to control this kind of like the synth utilization at all. And so uh, if things go in a direction we don't like, the P wall is there to, to support it, right? To like to bring it back to, to, to sanity in a sense. Um, that's basically the difference between then and now is that we, before we just, the synth cap would just kind of like we hit some sort of a number, like let's just say hit the cap of like 30% or whatever the hell the number would be or, or 15%, it doesn't matter. Uh, and then all of a sudden the room price dives, right? For some reason. And the asset price goes up for some reason. The, we would, we would surpass that 15% cap and would go to, you know, 20%, or 30%, 40%, you know, as far as the market would push it. And that becomes problematic because you don't want to get to a situation where you're like at a hundred percent or over a hundred percent, because that, then you're basically the synthetic assets itself become, um, uh, in a form depegged. Like they're not like one synthetic B, BDC is no longer equal to one synthetic BDC. It's not equal to like 0 0.9 something eight B real BDC. So you don't want to get over 100% relative to the pool depth uh, of the synth because that would just be you would you would no longer have enough value in the pools to back the value of the synthetics at that point. But the POL, since it's there to act and to, like to, to take uh, um, a stronger position when it needs to, it's always there to to support the the synthetic holders as they need to they need to. And we didn't have that ability or that functionality before, so we were, were worried about the scenario where like rune dives for some wacky reason and you know bitcoin goes up for some other reason whatever uh so there was something there to, to, to support the system the pol is there to support the system and we have that kind of that kind of backing in a sense uh to support the, the network if, if the network was needed needed support cool yeah makes sense Uh, there's some more questions in the comments. The first is, do the Sabres vaults use Tor stablecoin as a kind of unit of account on the back end? Uh, I don't, do Sabres vaults don't use anything with, with Tor. It's just, uh, uh, it's just Bitcoin and whatever other asset you're using. Uh, so I, there's, there's no kind of Tor or stable unit of account or stablecoin involved in the, in the Sabres vaults. It's just synthetic assets that are locked in a vault. So... Yeah, that's correct. Uh, but there is a, like, technically speaking, the network is using a Tor-like system now, sort of. <laughs> but, like, right now, I think there's some sort of, like, uh, minimum outbound fee, I think, of, like, you know, I think it's a dollar or something like this. It was just there to, to support um, the cost of special signatures and how they're more expensive on the network than, than um, internal transactions. And so... That's basically using a series of stablecoin pools to get the price of, you know, rune or the price of, you know, the dollar price of rune and then be able to set a minimum price of $1 for outbound transactions. And the Tor asset is basically using that same system that's already being used now. Um, if it's you didn't have to burn and mint an asset. So we're not, not burning or minting any assets. Not, there's, not like, there's no stablecoin here or anything like that. But the the kind of the price oracle mechanism built into the network itself is actually technically it's actually it's already live and it, it already uh, interfaces with, with mainnet today. It, there's just no Tor asset itself.
Cool. Any other any questions? Anyone want to uh, want to come up and ask about Sabres vaults? Looking at the comments too to see if there's any other. How will Sabres vaults affect the rune price? We kind of went through this last week. If you want to go listen to the recording of how Sabres vaults, it's not actually the Sabres vault itself that affects the rune price. It's the minting of synthetic assets that affects the rune price. And uh, the 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 too long didn't didn't listen to it. Uh, explanation of what happens to to uh, to rune. Um, is when people deposit into the Savior's Vault, there's a net rune buy pressure. And when people withdraw from the Savior's Vault, there's a net rune sell pressure. So people deposit, uh, you know, that should... I'm not saying it'll increase the price of rune, but there's a net pressure to, uh, you know, push towards the rune side there. And then when you withdraw, there is a net sell pressure on the rune asset in that pool. So listen to last week's... Uh, Last week's video, it's it's on YouTube. You can check it out on the Nine Realms uh, YouTube channel. So if, if you're curious about the price dynamics there, there's a there's a diagram that'll help you uh, visualize what happens in the pools and why there's buy and sell pressure. Bringing up Juggernaut. Hey, Juggernaut. You there? Hey, everyone. Hey. It's okay? Hey, Juggernaut. Hey. First, um, I'm very happy to um, um, this, um, those those Bitcoin void without a uh, rune exposure are, are um, awaited, uh, waiting life long time. Okay. All right. I'm very happy to... Oh. Okay. That's better. Um, so, Bitcoin vote and uh, other assets that, uh, without rune exposure are uh, waiting since long time. Okay, and for me, it shows uh, one thing very, very, very important. It's the importance of synthetics, because without synthetics, uh, nothing of this is possible. Okay, this is just. Uh, a reflection. Uh, I got a question, but I'm sorry, it's not about the, the subject of today. But uh, there is never a bad time for brainstorming. Okay. Uh, I like osmosis for one thing. Very, very nice. It's you can pay fee with the asset you want. Okay. I know I'm talking with very, very high wallets. But for low wallets, it's very interesting to... Uh, imagine I got $1,000 in BUSD. I want to buy it. I can't because I got didn't have it to pay the, the transaction. This is absurd. It's the same defect that you, you, you found in Uniswap, for example. It's the same. Is it a way? Is it technically possible? And is it is there a way? Uh, even if it makes two transactions, for example, uh, a bit of uh, the BSD converted in it for to pay the transaction, uh, is it a way to correct this? To make like of osmosis and let people choose uh, with uh, which token they want to pay fee. 
it's uh, for me it's uh, the only lack of torchain because it's near to the perfection the perfection doesn't exist but it's uh, just some things can be facilitated like this i don't know if uh, if it's possible but just a question thank you sorry what which fee are you do you want to choose with the asset to pay in okay i missed that part uh, for example, if we, if I, if I got BUSD, I want to buy it, but on my wallet I don't have it. I don't have any Ethereum, so I can't pay the transaction. This is you don't need you don't need ETH in that example. You would need some BNB. Uh, yeah, if you swap on Thorchain currently, so you have uh, BUSD. You can you don't need any ETH to make that transaction. You need a little bit of BNB to for just for gas to send it out. But you don't actually need the destination asset at all to to make a swap on on Thorchain. It just takes the gas out of the uh, out of the original asset. So it would just take it out of the B, the, the BUSD, for example. So I I think what what you're asking is already uh, already in in Thorchain. You you don't need to pay gas in a different chain. Gas just gets paid in whatever uh, whatever asset you're. Uh, you're, you're using initially. Uh, okay, perhaps uh, I give the wrong example, but I think uh, I'm sure that you know what I mean exactly. I, I don't think I don't think we. I mean, can you give us a, a better example so we can understand what you mean? Because I'm not sure if I, I follow. Because I think we already do the thing that you're asking for, and I'm just trying to understand. Maybe we're missing something. I mean, the only time I can think of where you might get stuck there is if you're swapping from an ERC-20 or a BEP2 asset that's supported by Thorchain, but it's not the gas asset. Is that what you're referring to? Like if you're, because, um, yeah, what you described is honestly like one of the really beautiful parts of the design of Thorchain. Like you only need the from asset. You don't need to, because uh, a lot of bridges, you run into the problem you're describing. You like get to the other chain, but then you don't even have the asset to like, you can't even get started. It's like you already need the asset that you're trying to get. It doesn't make any sense. That's kind of one of the great things that Thorchain already solves. Okay. Okay. Perhaps I missed something. Oh, so. <laughs> I, I think I think what's different about osmosis, uh, and this might be the reason why you're, you're thinking what you're thinking, is that like when you do a transaction osmosis, you actually don't need the Osmo token, I think, because you can opt to make your, your transaction fee-less where you just say, I don't want to pay anything for gas, in which case validators can choose to process that transaction or, or, or not. And there's some percentage of validators who, who will process, you know, fee-less transactions and some that will not. And so it'll eventually get picked up once enough blocks have gone by. And so if you wanted to swap something, you don't necessarily need the Osmo token, I think. But even even, even the relayers used on... on um, on um, uh, uh, IBC, I think those fees associated with that, the gas fees associated with that, are are paid by the uh, relayer and not by the person making the you know setting the funds across that wire. Maybe maybe that's what you're talking about. I'm, I'm, I'm maybe not. I'm not really sure. I I don't know if you remember, but it, it was uh, when Terra was something interesting. Uh, a bit same. You uh, 
you can uh, uh, it was uh, in the past choose Luna or uh, UST to pay transaction. Okay, uh, in Osmosis you can choose anything you want to pay fees. Okay, I just uh, oh, like paying with a third it, asset, like like if you're sending in a a BUSD to ETH swap and paying the gas fees in Bitcoin or something like that. Yeah, or any asset to any other. Uh, uh, if I got a bag of BUSD uh, uh, to, uh, but I I want something and an RC twenty to asset. Okay, but I don't have it to pay this transaction, which will pass by uh, through. Uh, sorry, um, aggregators. Okay. So uh, the the problem here is that these transactions that you're referring to are happening on external chains like Ethereum or whatnot, and we don't have the ability to to influence or change the behavior of an external chain. If you wanted to say, if we had like on ThorChain, we had Rune and we had Tor and we had a synthetic, so we had like various assets and you wanted to pay your transaction fees and any of those three assets or whatever, that we could do and probably will do most likely. But um, we can't control how other chains function or work. And so if you're going to make an ERC-20 ERC transaction, you need to pay gas and ETH. It just, there's just no way around that. There's nothing anybody can do about it other than just talking to Vitalik and asking him to change how this blockchain works. <laughs> okay. Thank and you even, for and even if you're using, like, if you're using the aggregator on, like, ThorSwap or something like that, if you're swapping Bitcoin to Sheeb, you still don't need ETH in your own wallet. Like, that's all happening behind the scenes. Yeah, but you need Bitcoin in your wallet to pay for the gas. Yes. Bitcoin. <laughs> And, and, that, and you have Bitcoin because that's what you're swapping from. <laughs> even if you if you have a wallet on Ethereum that only has ERC-20s and has zero ETH in it, then that ERC-20 is basically locked up, right? You can't you can't do anything with it, right? So we're not really there's nothing we can really do about that. I mean, well, sorry to interject here, but I think Juggernaut has an interesting point because I mean, Thorchain is the swapping mecca of places. Why not swap whatever asset you have? To whatever is needed to pay the gas fee so you end up the user basically pays the gas fee and let's say they have bitcoin and in the background that gets swapped for eth and the, the gas fee gets paid in eth but the user doesn't have to know about this at a premium but you have but you have to have bitcoin if you sure, it, it, sure whatever you whatever have asset you're sending into the network you have to have gas in that asset or the, the asset the, the asset of the gas asset of that chain. Like, nothing we can do about that. There's nothing we can do. Like, Let's no, say I'm swapping an ERC token, but I don't have ETH. I want to do a transaction, and the ETH network says no gas, so no transaction. But isn't it possible for ThorChain to take some of the asset that I already have in the background, swap it for ETH, and then offer no, the ETH network? You can't do that. Can't do that? The answer is no. Is well, you're possible? basically describing two swaps, right? I mean, if you have Bitcoin, yeah, you could swap some Bitcoin to ETH, swaps. and then you'd have ETH to swap your ERC-20. Yeah, and Torchain, I think the, the Torchain ecosystem would benefit because that's more swaps. That's better fees and whatnot. 
I mean, not if you're doing micro swaps of like, you know, two dollars worth of gas. It's not really going to help anybody much. But like, I guess. I'm that... oh, sorry. I just think it's an interesting point. I want to give props for Juggernaut for. Uh, I guess in theory, up. like, in theory, like a UI could be like, oh hey, it looks like you have no ETH, but we see you have BNB. Do you want to do a swap, like a second swap, and get gas or whatever? Like, I, like a UI could maybe interject something exactly. like that but it would just be it would just be two thor chain swaps right right good brainstorming thank you that was it um yeah you guys as always great work thank you how's it okay, going thank you thank you very Thanks, much yeah. Arna, are you excited for uh doge safer vault uh, <laughs> out the I door or maybe we're still here uh, I brought up uh, Preston. Hey, Preston. Hey, guys. Yeah, I was just going to say that sound the the previous gentleman, it sounds more like an application layer sort of issue or question rather than a protocol issue. Yeah, I think I think so. Yeah, agreed. Because the, the application would have to make, have to make two swaps. First one to provide, provide gas for itself and then make a second swap, whatever that would be. Correct. Yeah. And they could find the optimal way to do that across many many vectors, yeah. Yeah. You, you'd have to sign twice, but yeah, I mean, I suppose a wallet or a UI could look look at what wallet you have connected and make a suggestion like that. I mean, it would have to be it'd be relatively expensive just because you'd have to pay gas to do the first swap. You'd have to pay the minimum, the outbound fees and swap fees. Then you get some, you know, small amount, some dust amount of, you know, ether to 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 make the has to have enough for gas on the second swap, but then all of a sudden the ether price changes or the, the gas price for ether changes rather. And now you need more G way. Okay. Now you make a second trade for gas. Okay. Now you have it. Now you have enough. Now you make a third trade just to make the trade that you're trying to get. And this becomes, you know, overtly complicated and, and, you know, it'd be, it'd be, it would probably be a bad UX to be honest. I don't know. I would argue that that's kind of how it is already, right? Like, <laughs> all that we can do, like, I think what he was really trying to say, and I completely actually agree with what he's saying, is like, the user experience should be much more seamless. Um, and I agree, like, if you if you were to guesstimate on the first transaction and you were wrong, then you have to buy more ETH. I've done that 100 times at least. Um, so it's, it's definitely something that should be extrapolated out at the application layer in the future, especially as wallets and things of that nature get more complicated or, or you know, easier to use. Right, but if the app gets it wrong, then the user's upset with the with the UI, the app, because like, oh, you tried to get the amount of ether that you needed, the G way you needed, and you you didn't get enough, you asshole. But if you did it, Preston, then you'd be like, oh, you know, I got it wrong. I gotta do it again. Like you wouldn't be as mad about yourself. <laughs> like you might be pissed off at ThorSwap for getting the the calculation wrong, whatever. In reality, it's there's no idea what the G way costs are going to be in you know five minutes. It, it could fluctuate up or down. Yeah, I was using uh, Stargate uh, the other day, and uh, they they actually had this the same exact the same exact feature, which uh, I'm sure is is like you know what some of these guys are thinking of, where it's like you know you're you're converting like USDC from one chain to another, and but it also like there's also an, an option that'll just send you just like some some uh, just enough gas to just get it you know get get to do do an approval and to and to send it out. It just like it adds it in there, so I could, I can totally see the the use case for for, for something like that. Uh, brought Arno back up. Hey, um, thank you for getting me back up here. No, 
I have not heard about the dose saver wallet. I want to know more about it. But uh, about this issue with the gas fee, what if the protocol just says, okay, or the application says, okay, um, they, it just swaps double the amount of what gas is considered to be needed and the user ends up with some extra ETH in their wallet, whatever. Uh, but that will save you from having to do additional swap um, yourself. Like, a, like for people who are not all that savvy, I think that could be a nice under the hood feature. Um, I think there could be ways to be made to where if the gas fee suddenly changes, the, the, the gas swap that was done was large enough to where to be able to accommodate that and if the gas fee drops then the user ends up with some extra ETH for their next swap yeah i think it'd be pretty interesting to use with the aggregator actually uh because that's really where a lot of the long tail volume is likely to, to be in the future where it's like if, you know if someone's doing like a you know a, a five a five let's, let's say a, a bitcoin to uh well maybe not bitcoin's a bad example because the op return is pretty small and you would you wouldn't be able to fit this entire memo in but, you know, it's some kind of way to signal that, um, you know, just, just, just send me just a little bit of ETH, just, just enough for, you know, a, a transaction or, or two of gas, but uh, not too much. And then do, do the rest through the aggregator or, or something similar. I think that's an interesting, uh, interesting thing to do. Yeah, good points. Is that already built into the Pathfinder API by chance? I... No, I don't. I don't think there's any kind of like split transaction thing. I think everything is just like all, all or nothing. Like, I, there's no way to say like, oh, give me a little bit of gas and and the destination asset. I think uh, right now it's just you, you just get all the destination asset. But that's that's probably very that's probably an interesting thing that could be built right into the uh, into the aggregator itself. Like, you know, instead of doing that that second that second swap, like after it goes Bitcoin to ETH, then it goes like it goes on Uni, let's say to to USDC. Just say like, all right, just put most of it through through Union and just give me just like a little bit, just the rest. Give me some, give me some pocket change. I have to talk to Thorshop about that. It sounds, it sounds pretty cool. And then when I, where I can can I find about this door everyone? That sounds interesting. If you can like point me at a link or. Yeah, so uh, like we've been talking about it like the entire time, pretty much. It's it's the Bitcoin Savers wallet, but it'll be available for all gas assets, including the Doge on, on Thorchain, you know, Bitcoin Cash, Litecoin, Avex, Atom, you know, you, you name it. So uh, the, the the one and only place to earn Doge on your Doge. <laughs> I, I I just know you're into that, so I just wanted to bring it up. I love Doge. You know me. Uh, well, hold on a second. Is that like a like a single sided pooling, basically, or yeah, is it something exactly. else? Oh, got it. Well, I don't mind my rune exposure. In fact, it makes me pretty happy. So, but I will definitely keep that in mind for my friends because there are a lot of people who are like, you know, Doge and that's it. So, um, I think that'll be a cool feature that um, a lot of my buddies will love to uh, test and play around with. Yeah, that's the key difference. Is it's just dead simple. Like they don't have to understand rune. They don't have to understand impermanent loss. They don't have to understand any of that stuff. They just need to deposit some doge and then come back later and withdraw more doge basically yeah i just I mean, it would suck for them to miss out on the rune action but again having the option is fantastic and maybe down the road with once they like oh i'm doing this that's cool but you know yeah. having the option to experiment later i think that's a good move too yeah if your friends are tapped into rune then they know what's up but for the 
uh, probably many Doge holders are on coming from the Robin Hoods of the world and stuff. And it's a pretty cool option for them. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, it'll that. be available in, uh, in in Thor Wallet and Thor Swap real soon. So, Sweet. well, guess yeah. what? I'll be I'll be dabbling with it. Thank you guys. I'm gonna drop off again. It, I appreciate you guys being open to discussing brainstorming idea that Juggernaut brought. I think that openness and that kind of clarity, chain really super awesome. Um, and I'm a fan. Thanks, guys. Anyone else want to come up? Is there any, any uh, other questions or comments that people want to add? Been a great space today, so thanks, everyone, for coming out. Thanks for thanks for hanging out on a Friday. Uh, AVAX AG on ThorSwap should be live, like, any time at this point, so that's kind of cool. Oh, oh shit. Well, that's that's awesome. awesome. Feature after feature right now, it's like Triple launch days. <laughs> it sounded kind of disappointed. At the yeah. That... <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's just the Amex egg. I know it's not. <laughs> there we go. There you go. <laughs> All right. Let's, uh, let's wrap it up. Uh, th thanks everyone for, for coming out. Uh, yeah, next. Yeah, I guess we'll see you guys next Friday, and hopefully we'll we'll see some uh, Savers UIs online before then, and uh, we'll get we'll get yield turned on, and uh, we'll get this get this party rolling a little bit. Yeah, let's do it. Great, great energy, by the way. I love I love everyone still coming out to these things, and you know, asking questions, and like you know, just coming to hang out with the Thorchain community. So it's been fun. Hundred percent, right, always fun. See you next week. See you in the discords. See ya.